Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Bible Church Online, the online service. I just wanted to just thank these men again for what they have accomplished in, in getting this together. I just wanted to let you know, considering, considering our current situation, we have offered this online version of our church service, but we, again, don't want you to, you know, just to mistake this, what we're doing for the true gathering in the future when God brings everything to fruition, everything to um, consummation, he will gather all his people. And you can be encouraged uh, as you listen to what that'll look like in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Yeah, it's, it's a glimpse. That's a glimpse of this of of this coming reality, a glimpse of this coming reality that is, is when we gather together as a church. Online church, though a necessity for now, can't replace the true gathering of God's people. We must, brethren, look forward to a day when we can gather with God's people, the church, with just a, a minute portion of that same anticipation that we have for heaven. Because when we gather together, it's a, it's a, a glimpse, just a, just a small glimpse of heaven. Well, this morning, uh, we, as you might be able to tell from your outline, we won't be returning to our study in Ephesians. It was a tough decision for me. I thought about it all week. I decided not to continue our study this week because I feel that I need to further address this event that we're experiencing and let the Word of God do its work in our hearts. I did think about going back to our study in Ephesians today, but God, the Lord laid it on my heart that our church needs to be encouraged and comforted by the promises of God to us as believers. In some ways, this sermon, in some ways, will be a review of Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, even though we won't specifically be preaching from those, those chapters, because some of the things that we're going to hear this morning are absolutely common themes with the Apostle Paul and in the Scripture. So let us pray, and let's, let's get started with the sermon. Our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you will bless this time, Father, we don't know, even sitting here today, we are preaching this sermon to a few people online who are listening live. Uh, we thank you for, uh, and just ask that you bless this time. But we also know that others may listen in the future, that others may listen in on what we've done this morning. And, and Father, I pray that you would bless them as they hear uh, your word preached, as they hear your people worship the Lord in whatever way. Uh, we possibly can even today through this this uh, online service as we do it digitally. Father, I pray for the day that we can gather together again, that we can gather physically, that we can hug each other, that we can that we can greet each other. Father, I pray for the day that we can uh, have communion together, 
What a wonderful time it will be when we gather together uh, again. And we pray these things, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I've titled my sermon this morning, Standing on the Promises, the Christian's Response to Tragedy. Yesterday morning, I, I sent to the men, we have our little back and forth, I sent to the men that the title was going to be Leaning on the Promises, which is, uh, which is probably the title or is the title that you see in your bulletin. I think that you'll see as I preach this morning that there are times when we need to stand on the promises of God and there are certainly times that we need to lean in on his promises. Beloved, difficult times have arrived, though obviously it's not as bad as it could get. As one preacher put it this week, it's not the Black Plague. And I certainly agree with him, but, but we aren't those people either. As Americans, as a people in the Western culture, we love our creature comfort comforts. We complain when the grocery store is too far away from our homes. Did you know that a USDA study shows that the nearest grocery store is about two miles away on average to every American home? During this outbreak, we complain and blame the government when we're confined to our comfortable homes. I find it amazing that Americans have spent much of the past 45 years building bigger and fancier homes. Did you know that the average home size has increased by 63% since 1975. At the same time, the average family has decreased 14%. We have more space than ever in our comfortable homes, but we don't like being stuck in them. Or is it just that we like to complain? Truly, we are in a situation that most of us have never faced. It could be, again, much, much worse. But as Christians, as those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, this shouldn't take us off guard. This shouldn't have caught us off guard, that is. Over 3,400 years ago, Moses taught that creation is marred because of the fall of man. About 2,000 years ago, Paul taught that creation groans because of man's sin. About 90 years ago, the invention of the electron microscope allowed us to see rogue viruses as, that are as a result of uh, man's sin. Uh, these rogue viruses which seem to conspire to kill us. Uh, modern scientist, science shows us that these viruses can in fact mutate and they really do attack us. No doubt again that these viruses are a result of man's sin. But let me give you a truth which should comfort every Christian who's listening here today. It should could comfort every Christian. According to God's word, he controls even the tiniest bits of this universe. As Dr. R.C. Sproul has said, there is no maverick molecule if God is sovereign. Beloved, there are no rogue viruses if God is sovereign. If he is sovereign, then we have nothing to fear but our Lord. Even, even with this clear knowledge of scripture, though, all of us have found it difficult to gain our footing as we slide into what feels like oblivion. The situa situation around us seems to be ever worsening without much relief. Just this past Thursday, I told my wife, Angie, that it felt like we were living in a science fiction or a horror movie. On that day, we found out that the State Department had set international travel advisories to level four. This means that Americans shouldn't travel to any other country in the world. When have we lived that 
reality. They also said that U.S. citizens living abroad should come back immediately unless they plan to spend an indefinite period of time overseas. Again, when have we lived that reality except in the time of war? On Friday, I began, we began to hear about hospitals in New York and L.A. and other cities being inundated by the suffering. Again, as harrowing as this sounds, we as Christians shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be shocked when we witness chaos and suffering in this world. We should actually be more astonished that there's peace at all. On the other hand, the unbeliever tries to find peace in this world. They want everything to be comfortable with no problems at all. Just this past week, I follow some of you as well, follow the, the Gainesville word of mouth page on Facebook. And there was a question that was posted. It said, moving to Gainesville from out of state this weekend, what do we need to be prepared for? Question mark. Many of these, many of the questions or the answers that is revealed the depravity of the human heart. They also reveal the need for us to proclaim the gospel to this community. Listen to some of the answers. This is what they said that they, these people would, could expect in Gainesville. Listen to these answers. The coronavirus. No toilet paper. People hoarding food. Bad traffic. Weird people. Homeless people. Another answer says panhandlers. College students. High traffic. Scooters everywhere. Another answer simply said $400 utility bills. And yet another answer says this. Bring plastic straws. Be prepared to fix your car after it hits a pothole city. Enjoy the highest cost utilities in the state. Highest priced gas in the state. Taxes on taxes. I could, of course, keep going. The last I checked, and this was a couple of days ago, there were 835 responses to this question and a vast majority of those answers were incredibly negative about the city of Gainesville yet I don't think that these answers are about Gainesville I would say that given the timing the answers would have been negative concerning most cities because I believe I as I look through the the list of the answers the comments I believe these answers reveal the miserable and corrupt state of man's heart. Can you imagine how bad things will get if we endure this for several months? Beloved, we have a grand opportunity as Christians to preach the gospel to a people who have no hope. But as Christians, we need to respond rightly to this unfolding tragedy, or we will squander the opportunity to display our faith to the world. If our complaints just blend in with the world, then the message of the gospel will lose its effectiveness. Why would the world listen to us if we're, in fact, just as worldly? But we need to understand the importance of, of showing a tangible compassion amid this crisis. If this continues, Lord willing, it won't. But if this continues, we will have more and more opportunities to meet people's immediate needs. And as we do so, we must respond to them, even if they're complaining. Even if they're struggling deeply, we need to respond to them in love and in the power of the gospel. So as Christians, as Christians, then how should we respond to the tragedy which is unfolding before our eyes? I believe, biblically, we must go back to the promises, the basic promises 
of God, remembering uh, the things that he has promised us. First, he has promised salvation, the salvation of his people. The first basic promise that we need to remember as we endure this tragedy is that he has promised the salvation of his people. If you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul writes, Paul says that if we can, if you confess with your heart, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here, very simply, Paul lays out how one becomes a Christian. You must, or we must, confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord or sovereign. Now, in reality, uh, what we have to understand is this is not a simple acknowledgement that Jesus is the ruler of the universe. Uh, James writes that the demons believe that there's one God and they shudder. Therefore, according to James, there is a, in James chapter 2, there is a useless belief or a useless faith which does not save. True faith is a deep supernatural conviction that Jesus is the Lord of your life. This conviction can't keep itself bottled up but must result in a confession from your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, the Lord of your life. You see, beloved, our hearts will always repeat, or I mean our mouths, that is, will always repeat what our heart believes. And press, pressures such as what we're experiencing now will always reveal our hearts. It'll all, it, uh, our, hearts uh, our hearts, if we have a complaining heart, it will come through our mouths. We will have a we will pour forth complaints. We truly believe, if we truly love Christ, then we will confess that he is Lord. He will confess that he is Lord. In this case, Paul says that, that we, this confession is the fruit of what we believe. Uh, we believe that, that God has raised Christ from the dead. In other words, we believe that Jesus has conquered sin and death. He goes on to say in verse 10, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Here Paul just gives the principles behind what he said in verse 9. But here he reveals the true order and shows that belief is the main issue. It's, our, it's belief in the heart. The heart believes, resulting in righteousness. Therefore, with the mouth we confess, resulting in salvation. True belief, then, is always always precedes good works, which are always the result of our true salvation. Look back at your text. This is where it gets interesting for us today. In Romans chapter 10, verse 11, Paul goes on to say, For the Scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the, name, or for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Whoever, verse 13, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Beloved, God has promised the salvation of his people, and nothing can thwart this promise, not even a virus. If you believe in, in Christ, according to Paul, you will not be disappointed. And if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Let me give you a couple of more verses which show that God will save his people. And John Chapter 6, 
Uh, you don't have to turn there. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. In John chapter 10, he says again, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Beloved, the Jesus who controls every molecule of the universe also knows his sheep, and they will come to him, and they will follow him. This is a promise that you can stand on even as we face grave circumstances. Even as we face an uncertainty of, of our immediate future, we can stand on the promise that God will save his people. Let's look at the second basic promise of God. He has promised suffering among his people. He has promised suffering among his people. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, just a couple of chapters before Romans 10. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, Paul writes that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And verse 17 says, And if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural assurance that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, then we will inherit the riches of Christ as, as, as fellow heirs with Christ. Obviously, this is a, an astonishing truth in and of itself, that we are fellow heirs of Christ, that we've been given the Holy Spirit. And, that, and the Spirit testifies to us, to our spirit, that we are, in fact, children of God. But at this point, Paul turns the corner. Look at your text. He says this, he says this, if indeed, verse 17, the, the second part, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, as Christians, we may be called to suffer for the gospel's sake. Now, Paul, I, I think Paul here is referring to suffering persecution for the sake of preaching the gospel, but I think this reveals a shocking truth. Being a Christian, being a Christian is not being on easy street. Suffering is a necessary aspect of the Christian life. I would argue that suffering well is required. As Christians, we must learn to suffer well because it proves what we truly, that we truly believe the message that we preach. If we preach the message of the gospel and then we go out and we complain about life as it is, then what difference do, are we? What, what, how do people look at us and say, well, we're different? Now, in this case, in our case, we're not being persecuted yet. But how we handle the fallout from this disease may indicate our effectiveness in preaching the gospel. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, he says, For I consider the, the sufferings of this present time are, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in or revealed to us. You see, Paul wanted the church at Rome to understand that the endurance of suffering for the sake of Christ cannot be weighed against the glory which will be revealed to us in eternity in Christ Jesus. Suffering for the sake of Christ, then, is a counterintuitive truth because suffering prepares us as Christians for more glory. And 
Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seventeen. Uh, Paul has a, it's a similar theme. Paul says this: for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are seen or which are seen are eternal. The point is, is that that the, what we're facing today, the light affliction that we are facing today, uh, it produces in us a, an eternal weight of glory that we that we will see something much greater in the future. That the things that we can see today are passing away. That the, the true reality is what we will have in the future in Christ. As Joseph Schumann explains, he says this about these verses. These verses are like sandpaper on our modern sentiments about suffering. We naturally try to avoid suffering at all costs. But God brings suffering in our lives for the sake of our eternal joy. Yes, even glory. Now, Right here, I want to answer the question of whether this outbreak of disease is a judgment of God on our nation. Our nation, as you know, certainly has many sins, such as the murder of its children in the womb, which God will, in fact, judge. There's no doubt. But we can't know God's full purpose of allowing this time of suffering. We can't know. We can't be certain of what he's doing. But we can be certain that this needs to get our attention. My hope is that we will see many people repent of their sin and turn to Christ during this time. In Luke 13, in Luke 13, Jesus reflects on human suffering. And in the, these two reflections, he gives, well, he gives two instances of suffering. And Pilate had killed some Galileans in the temple while in the process of of offering sacrifice, and a tower, a second instance was a tower at which it fell and killed 18. And Jesus asked this question, of whether, asked the question of whether those who suffered the fate, this fate were greater sinners than the rest. Here's what he said in, in Luke 13, 5. He says this, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, with this answer, what Jesus is saying well, what Jesus doesn't do, he doesn't deny that all disasters stem from the fallen nature of man and God's curse on creation. You see, he's not denying that. He's saying, look, he, he's saying, look, it, there, there could be a connection. And, and he doesn't rule out that God may, in fact, be using specific tragedies to judge people. But he warns us, though. He warns us that tragedy can befall any of us at any time. As Christians, we're not exempt from tragedy and suffering. Just a few weeks ago, one of my fellow seminarians was in Los Angeles to attend the Shepherds Conference, and he found out that his wife was critically ill and even near death. She'd actually died before he was able to return to Spain. Last night, we found out from Lance Quinn, who has pastored with John MacArthur on a couple of different occasions, and we found out that Lance's wife, Beth, diagnosed with a second, even more aggressive cancer, which will surely take her life very soon. She will, she will leave Lance, along with eight grown children and several grandchildren, to go to be with the Lord. Some of you may have heard that just this past week, Grant Worthman's 
roommate and fellow counselor at Echo Ranch died suddenly from a heart condition. He was about Grant's age. Uh, beloved, as Christians, we will endure suffering. We will endure great difficulty. D.A. Carson observes of Luke 13, he says this, in Luke 13, what Jesus seems to presuppose is that all the sufferings of the world, whether caused by malice or by accident, are not peculiar examples of judgment falling on the distinctively evil, but rather examples of the bare, stark fact that we are all under the sentence of death. Beloved, we are born to suffer because we live in a world of suffering. And where there is suffering, there is a great battle, a great battle for your soul. As Christians, we have two ways to react to suffering. We can curse and question God because of our suffering, or we can praise God as we suffer. We can embrace God's sovereignty in suffering. R.C. Sproul again says this, if we embrace the com comforting doctrine of God being sovereign over sickness, disease, life, and death, then no pain or suffering is without meaning or purpose, end quote. You mean that God uses my suffering? God uses my pain? You mean that God can even use this situation uh, with this COVID-19 spread of disease? Absolutely. And he will use it. We must remember that God always uses our suffering for good. This brings us to the, the third promise of God that we need to remember as we, as we endure tragedy. God has promised sanctification in his people. God has promised sanctification in his people. Really, this is our sermon from last week. Turn again in, in your Bibles to Romans 8.28. Paul writes, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. According to this verse, God uses every aspect of the Christian's life, including trials which are endured, to work together for our good. Beloved, you may be struggling. You may be struggling with this COVID-19 outbreak. But if you love God, if you are called according to his purpose, he will use it for your good. And as we found last week, he, we know that he uses these difficulties to sanctify us. He uses them to grow us to be more like Christ. Uh, we heard last week in James chapter 1 when James uh, said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that we may be or that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, James, do you mean that we can truly be joyful as we endure this outbreak? Yes, you can. Well, James, don't you know what I'm having to endure? Well, it doesn't matter because, because it, it does, it's various trials. You can know that God is using this time, that God is using this trial uh, or whatever trials are coming your way for your good. I mean, think of the situation with Lance, finding out in the midst of... Are oh, they trying to get my attention? Uh, fi finding out in the midst of this situation 
finding out in the midst of this situation with the COVID-19 that his wife has to be in the hospital and having to beg the authorities to be allowed to be with her. Uh, we, we don't know what God is doing, but we do know that our sufferings, that our trials have a greater purpose, that, our, that, God, is, that God is sanctifying us through them. And here is something even more astonishing. If you suffer well, God can use your suffering in really three incredible ways. We've already seen the first, that he uses it for your growth, your growth and sanctification. But he can also use it as your suffering, as encouragement for others in their future suffering. David Paulison says, puts it this way. He says this, when you've passed through your own fiery trials and found God to be true to what he says, you have real help to offer. You have firsthand experience of both his sustaining grace and his purposeful design. He has kept you through pain. He has reshaped you more into his image. What you are experiencing from God, you can give away in increasing measure to others. You are learning both the tenderness and the clarity necessary to help sanctify another's person's deepest distress, end quote. You see, God can use your suffering in the life of others in the future as you encourage them in their suffering. And he can also use it for his glory. This is the Apostle Peter's point in 1 Peter 1. He says this in 1 Peter 1, 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Beloved, I hope you will suffer well in the days and weeks to come. Your growth and faith relies on your suffering. Your brethren will grow as they witness your suffering for God's glory, and God will get all the praise. Now, I do, as, a, as your pastor, I do expect that, that some of you, many of you, will struggle or, as we endure this time. Uh, we're not supermen and superwomen. I quoted Spurgeon last week when I said, we are but, but men, frail, feeble, and we're apt to faint. Beloved, you will have times of, of failure. We're not expecting that you would just uh, buckle up and, and be able to endure this. You're human. You will have times of anxiety. It's our human weakness to do so. In those times, though, it's helpful to remember our basic the basic promise, our last basic promise of God. He has promised security to his people. He has promised security to his people. Here I want to remind you of a few truths about your salvation. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul reminded the Ephesians that Christians have been chosen in him from the foundation of the world. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he has predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. There is absolutely nothing which could thwart the good pleasure of God's will to save us. Christ has redeemed us. We have been forgiven of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God saved us, but he didn't immediately take us to dwell with him. 
he uses he uses us and he he said, left us here for the purposes of his glory but if you are his if you are his then you are as secure as any saint who dwells with him today in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 Paul writes after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise Beloved, if you have believed that Christ suffered and died in your place, he, he suffered the wrath of the Father, having taken upon our sin, having taken our sin upon himself. He shed his blood for our salvation. He, he suffered and died not because of his sin, but because of my sin and because of your sin. If you believe those things, you can be saved. The second verse of the song called How Deep the Father's Love for Us captures this truth. He says this, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Beloved, if you believe that Christ died for your sins on the cross and rose from the grave victorious, then you have been given eternal life. Nothing can take, the, take you away from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If you turn back to Romans 8.29, turn back to Romans 8.29, this, uh, Paul gives the proof, the proof that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who call him according to pur his purpose. He says this. He says this, starting in verse 29. Just listen as I read. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and these whom he justified he also glorified so paul is saying that if god predestined if he foreknew you and predestined you to become conformed to the image of his son then you are justified. You've been called and you have been justified. And those whom he justified, he will, in fact, glorify. In verse 31, he says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will we not with him freely give? How will he not also with him freely give us all things? And then he says some very profound things here, starting in verse 33. Listen to this. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. And who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril 
or sword. I could add or virus. Verse 36. Just as it, as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, verse 37, we overcome, overwhelmingly conquer through him who has loved us. For I am convinced, this is Paul's capstone argument, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing including a virus, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, Christ has promised security to his people. And that security has been secured by his work on the cross. That security has, has been secured by the fact that he has been raised from the dead. That security has been secured by the fact that he sits at the right hand on, on the throne of God today. That security has been secured by the fact that he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to, to seal us, to secure us in him as a promise of our full redemption in the future. Beloved, if you remember God's promises and you trust them in Christ, I promise that you'll live accordingly that you will not live in fear. Therefore, you are bound to look different than those around you. And when we look different from those around us, some will want to know why we are different. Some will want to know why we have the hope that we have. As the world seems to be collapsing around us, listen to the Apostle Peter's answer to this he says this but sanctify christ as lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence it's first peter three fifteen. so according to the apostle peter we need to set apart in our hearts christ as lord this means that we need to live in loving submission to him. We need to trust his word. We need to live in prayerful communion with him. We need to believe his promises. We need to believe that he has promised the salvation of his people. We need to believe that he has promised suffering among his people, but he also gives us comfort. We need to believe that he has promised sanctification in his people that he is making us more like he's conforming us to the image of his son. But lastly, we also need to believe that he has promised security to his people. He will care for us. He will keep us no matter what happens, no matter what befalls us. When we do this, especially in times like the present, we will stand out from the rest of the world. You see, we will be courageous not afraid. We will be victorious, not defeated. We will be hopeful in the Lord and not hopeless. We will be optimistic about the future and not, not pessimistic and complaining. We will be full of joy, not lacking hope and discouraged. My brethren, we will be different. We will stand out. But when we do stand out, 
we must be ready to make a defense. We must be clear why we believe what we believe. We must be ready to clearly articulate what we believe. We must be ready to herald the gospel to a lost and dying world. You're listening today and you're afraid. If you're defeated, if you're hopeless, if you're discouraged, I ask, I beg on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to him. Trust Christ. He can save you. He alone can protect you. Let me end the sermon with this quote by John Owen. Listen to this. In every disaster, God is calling us to trust ourselves, our families, and all our enjoyments to his sovereign will and wisdom so that we may be ready to part with all things when he calls, and that without any regrets. God is making wings for men's riches. He is shaking their homes. He is taking away all the visible defenses of their, li of, of their lives. He is proclaiming the uncertainty and instability of man's life. So the only thing that will give us rest and peace is to entrust everything to his sovereign will and pleasure. This is the way to mortify self and love for the world and the things that are in the world. Without this mortification, we can never trust ourselves and all that we love and have to God's sovereign will. End quote. Beloved, as we progress through these next few weeks, no matter what they hold, I pray that you would stand on the promises of God. And when you feel yourself struggling, when you feel yourself getting going astray, I pray that you would lean into his promises. Beloved, if you do so, you will not be disappointed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you trusting that, trusting in your promises. Think of the song, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, our Savior. Father, I pray as a church that we would stand on your promises. I pray that when we're dealing with great difficulty, that we would lean in and that we would lean in on your promises, that we would share each other's burdens. Father, I pray as a church that we would find ways in this situation where we're separated physically, that we would find creative ways to, to love one another, that we would reach out to one another, even if it's online or through video conferencing or through text or through a phone call. Lord, I pray that we would crave fellowship. Father, I do pray for this situation. I pray that you would bring us back together as soon as possible, that we would be able to get back to our normal routines. But Lord, if it takes many months, I pray that you would use us you would use us for your glory and to your praise. Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.